on a sweltering day in the summer of 1925, residents of Richmond, Virginia were shocked when word began to spread of a triple murder. An amateur actress known as a rising star in the city had been gunned down in a busy historic district along with a police officer and local restaurant owner. When police arrested the shooter, he immediately confessed to the crime, saying he killed Vivian Tomlin, known as Virginia Venus, because he loved her and wasn't going to let anyone else have her. Welcome to Southern Mysteries, exploring history and mysteries of the American South. I'm your host, Shannon Ballard. This is the story of Rudolph Deese and the Richmond Rivalry Murders. Vivian Tomlin was born in Charlottesville, Virginia in 1906. By the age of 16, she was working as a model at fashion exhibits and in department stores around the state. Vivian loved drama and was drawn to the stage, often appearing in plays in Richmond theaters as Virginia Venus. The model and actor was known as one of the most beautiful young women in Richmond and never shied away from the attention of men who were drawn not only to her beauty, but her vivacious personality. In late 1922, Vivian was hired as a model in a Richmond department store. While on the job, she met two employees, Marvin Pierce and Rudolph Deese. Both men immediately fell for Vivian and pursued her, wooing her and wanting her attention and affection. She began dating both men, but confided to a friend she felt drawn to Rudolph because he was a beautiful man with dark hair and eyes and a slim, well-groomed figure. Vivian liked his style, too. He loved to be elegantly dressed in silk suits. The two talked about marriage, but Vivian wanted excitement and adventure. She felt Rudolph was a little too quiet and dull for her. In the end, she chose the man who was confident and promised her the exciting life she craved, Marvin Pierce. 17-year-old Vivian Tomlin married 18-year-old Marvin Pierce on January 10, 1923. Unfortunately, as the two settled into their life as newlyweds, Vivian faced the harsh reality that Marvin wanted a housewife, wanted her at home, didn't like her modeling and acting, spending time with the artsy crowd in Richmond. Vivian was bored at home and missed the attention she craved from friends, especially men. Marvin and Vivian fought often, and within a few months of marriage, she reached out to an old friend, Rudolph Deese. Deese was devastated when Vivian married Marvin Pierce, had tried to convince himself he would win her back. But eventually, he lost all sense of control, began using drugs, and socializing with people who were viewed as low society. When Vivian called, said she wanted to see Rudolph, he did what she knew he would do. He ran to her. Vivian explained to him that her relationship with Marvin was in trouble, and marrying him had been a horrible mistake. Vivian found excitement that she craved 
when she and Rudolph begin a passionate affair. Eventually, Marvin Pierce worked out where Vivian was going when she snuck out of the house and asked her to leave their home. Vivian packed up and moved her things into a First Street boarding room with Rudolph Deese, saying he was the true love she longed for. And she told him she was all his. Eventually, they moved into a home on Rosewood Avenue, and the more they played house, the more Rudolph wanted their relationship to be legitimate. Vivian promised him they would marry once she and Marvin divorced. Several months passed, and Rudolph grew frustrated, impatient, because Vivian was still married to Marvin. And it seemed her desire to be with Rudolph started to fade. Vivian told a friend that living with him was beginning to feel like living with her husband. She was again bored and frustrated by the jealous nature of her lover. Rudolph had been obsessed with Vivian since the day he met her, but his drug use made him paranoid and he tried to control her every move. On May 1st, 1925, Marvin Pierce was granted a partial divorce from Vivian meaning he was no longer responsible for his wife's bed and board due to her affair. But Vivian kept this from Rudolph because she didn't want him to know she was a step closer to being free to marry him if she decided to. The more Rudolph tried to control Vivian, the more she stayed away from home. She began eating just about every meal at a restaurant in the west end of Richmond called Carter's Kitchen. There, Vivian befriended a cashier. Her name was Dolly Swift. The two spent a lot of time together, often taking long drives in Dolly's coupe. Now, Vivian didn't work at Carter's, but she was there so much that she got to know the owner, 33-year-old Henry Carter, a divorced, heavy-set, likable guy who showered Vivian with the attention she loved. A Rudolph Deese grew tired of Vivian being away from home so much, and never telling him where she was going. He was convinced she was cheating on him. On July 21st, 1925, he followed Vivian, watched her walk into Carter's restaurant. A few minutes later, she exited the restaurant with Henry Carter. Rudolph knew in his heart that this man was stealing Vivian from him. He ran across the street and immediately began screaming at and attacking Henry Carter. The two were involved in a violent fistfight, with Rudolph vowing he would kill Henry. Police were called, and when Henry was asked if he wanted to press charges, he said yes, because he felt Rudolph was so angry and violent that he might just follow through on that threat to kill him. When Rudolph and Henry appeared in court, they were told the Commonwealth's attorney would need to hear the case at a later time because he wasn't available that day. They were instructed to return to court on August 4th. Now, at some point during their time in the courtroom, Rudolph Deese moved toward Vivian and a protective Henry Carter knocked him down and told him to stay away from her. Vivian made a request of the court asking that she be allowed to return to the home she shared with Rudolph to retrieve her clothes and belongings. 
The court ordered Rudolph to allow Vivian to enter the home and not hinder her in any way. The court then assigned a detective sergeant, J. Harvey Burke, to accompany Vivian to the home to ensure she was safe and able to retrieve all of her belongings. Henry's attorney offered to drive Vivian and Henry home, but remembered he had an appointment he couldn't miss. Plus, Henry needed to get back to his restaurant. A local automobile salesman, Willis Britt, happened to be in the courtroom that day, and he offered to lend his car to Detective Sergeant Burke to drive Rudolph Deese to his home, while Britt drove Vivian to pick up her car so she could pick up her belongings from the Deese house. When they all arrived at the house at 7th and Marshall Streets, a few blocks from the old state capitol buildings, Willis Britt waited in Vivian's car while Detective Sergeant Burke accompanied Vivian and Rudolph into the residence. The detective sergeant helped Vivian organize and pack up her belongings and carry them down to the car. When they were packing everything into Vivian's car, Rudolph Deese mentioned that he forgot something of Vivian's upstairs, asked them to wait for him. When he returned, he found Vivian sitting in the passenger seat of her car with Willis Britt behind the wheel. When Britt asked if Vivian was all set, Rudolph Deese leaned into the car window and asked Vivian if he would ever see her again. She said no, refused to even turn and look at him. Rudolph then reached toward his hip pocket and drew a gun. Instinct kicked in for Willis Britt, who reached to open the door and get out of the car. As he was struggling to escape, Rudolph Deese fired the gun several times. Vivian was shot, would die on the scene. Willis Britt was shot in the hip. Detective Sergeant Burke was standing in front of the car, when Rudolph had so quickly pulled that gun and opened fire. Rudolph began firing towards the detective sergeant, shooting him twice before calmly reloading his revolver. Burke had been shot, but he continued to fight back. As he was laying in the street, he struggled to pull himself up on his elbow and fired six times. Confused, and in pain from his wounds, he missed Rudolph Deese, who calmly walked to Willis Britt's car, got in, and drove away. Rudolph drove to Carter's kitchen, entered the crowded restaurant around lunchtime. He surveyed the room, and when he spotted Henry Carter standing behind the counter, pulled his revolver from his pocket. Vivian's friend, Dolly Swift, was behind the register and yelled at Carter to look out. But Henry Carter never had a chance. Rudolph never said a word. He aimed and fired. Henry Carter died on the floor of his restaurant. The terrified lunch crowd ducked under tables, afraid this man would shoot someone else. Rudolph Deese had been on a mission, had killed the man he came to kill. He calmly put his revolver back in his coat pocket, turned around, and walked out of the restaurant. He got back in Willis Britt's car and drove down Broad Street, which was in the direction of his home. 
the first crime scene. News of the tragedy had spread quickly to area police stations due to the amount of witnesses in the historic district where the shooting spree occurred. When a traffic officer spotted Rudolph turning onto Brook Avenue and Broad Street, he ran toward the car and jumped onto the running board. He held a gun at Rudolph's head and yelled at him to stop the car. Rudolph began slowing down and just said, All right, I'm through, and surrendered. Within 10 minutes, Rudolph Deese had murdered the woman he claimed to love, wounded an innocent man who offered his assistance out of the kindness of his heart, and murdered a cop along with the man he believed to be Vivian's lover. When Rudolph Deese was brought into the police station, Many of the officers said they were shocked that this killer carried himself with an air of confidence. Usually when criminals are taken into custody, there's an air of defeat, sometimes shame when they're handcuffed and processed. But Rudolph did not hold his head down in shame. He held his head high as he walked in wearing that silk suit with a white collar and barely a hair out of place on top of his head. If not for the blood on his suit, you'd never know. He had just shot four people. Rudolph Deese was interviewed by Captain of Detectives Wright, who asked if he had done this, shot these people. Rudolph calmly replied, yes. He clarified he only intended to shoot Vivian Tomlin and Henry Carter. When asked why he shot Detective Sergeant Burke and Willis Britt, Rudolph said one got in his way and the other was trying to stop him, and he couldn't let that happen. News had reached the police station that Detective Sergeant Burke had died. He happened to be one of the captain's best friends. But he stayed in the room, continued to question Rudolph, who seemed shocked that the captain didn't understand why he felt he had to kill Vivian and those other people got in his way. Rudolph kept insisting that any man with a sweetheart would know why he shot the only woman he ever loved. Rudolph proudly boasted that he had taken Vivian away from her husband and seemed pleased with himself for having killed her. Telling the captain, Vivian and Henry Carter... They just got what was coming to him. Rudolph Deese retained defense attorneys, Charles Crowder and James Page. On July 31st, Deese was indicted for the murder of Vivian Tomlin Pierce, Henry Grady Carter, and Detective Sergeant J. Harvey Burke. As expected, the defense immediately moved for a plea of guilty by reason of temporary insanity. Deese had confessed to police, but Charles Crowder learned from Rudolph's parents that he had fallen and cut his head open when he was three years old and had been kicked in the head by a mule when he was five. Crowder knew he could use this to his client's advantage at trial by claiming Rudolph Deese had suffered such trauma that his mind never fully developed. He wasn't able to reason right from wrong. Add in serious drug use, and the defense 
felt like they could save Rudolph Deese from the electric chair when his murder trial began on August 14th. Commonwealth attorney Dave Satterfield informed the jury the defense would make Vivian Tomlin Pierce sound like an aggressive woman who drove Rudolph to kill her, but warned they should not be fooled. Vivian and Henry were victims of willful, premeditated murder. A key witness for the state was the man who survived the shooting spree, Willis Britt. Britt, who had been shot in the hip, had to use a cane to walk to the witness stand where he calmly described how he was shot and the shock of seeing Vivian and the police officer shot and killed by Rudolph Deese. The state knew Rudolph's defense would be relying on the defendant's drug use as part of his insanity plea. They called police officers who had interacted with Rudolph on the day of the shooting to testify as to his manner. Their testimony painted a picture of a man who was calm and did not appear crazed or out of sorts with cocaine or alcohol when he was arrested. Defense counsel James Page pushed back against that claim that his client was clear-headed that day. He revealed Rudolph Deese had started using cocaine about 18 months before the murders and had used seven to 10 decks of cocaine between seven and 9 a.m. on July 28th, the day he was out of his mind, driven over the edge by rejection of the woman he loved. Page called a number of Rudolph's friends who testified he was an addict who was known to take part in what Page called mad orgies of cocaine use. None of the witnesses admitted on the stand they used drugs, but described detailed accounts of Rudolph's drug use and the effect it had on him. They explained to the often visibly shocked jurors that obtaining cocaine in Richmond was about as easy as getting ice cream sodas at the drugstore. Witness Raymond Coleman described parties he had attended with Rudolph Deese, including one in which Rudolph and Vivian and a few other friends went on a cocaine spree. Coleman said he and Deese and a number of these friends drove out on Broad Street, it started raining, and the men dared the women to get out of their cars and take off their clothes. Now, some of the women refused, thought it was just a joke, but Coleman said Rudolph took out a pocket knife, pointed it at Vivian, and told her to get out of the car and disrobe. It seemed odd for defense counsel to bring this into the trial, but Page said the jury needed to know that cocaine use made Rudolph Deese do things no sane man would do. Page then called a witness who described another cocaine spree party Rudolph attended. By the end of the night, Rudolph took a wrench and nearly beat his friend Peter Candler to death. Again, Page turned to the jury and told them cocaine use made Rudolph Deese do things no sane man would do. Throughout the trial, Rudolph Deese remained calm, sort of nonchalant, even smiled a lot, until the day his parents were called to the stand. His father, Lewis, spoke of his son's eccentric behavior when he used drugs, 
and he detailed the childhood accidents in which his son had nearly died from blows to his head. He said he had noticed that since Rudolph met Vivian, he had gone mad. He was crazy, obsessed with her, and spoke of nothing but this woman when he visited them. Rudolph had remained calm when his father was on the stand, had a serious look on his face, but he lost it when his mother, Emma, was called to testify on his behalf. Rudolph began crying so hysterically that he had to be removed from the courtroom. His mom answered a few questions, but began sobbing so uncontrollably, she had to be excused. During closing arguments, James Page threw Rudolph Deese upon the mercy of the jury, saying he couldn't help himself the day he killed three people and didn't deserve to die for something that was out of his control. Commonwealth attorney Dave Satterfield closed with a warning to the jury, telling them if they moved to acquit Rudolph Deese, they would send a message to every young man in the state of Virginia that if he's rejected by a woman he loves, he can just go off and sniff some coke, shoot her, and get away with murder. On July 20th, the jury began deliberating Rudolph Deese's fate. A reporter in the courtroom asked him what he thought the verdict would be. Deese said if there was a man on the jury who had been faced with the situation he was up against, he might understand and vote to acquit, knowing what love can do to a man. But when the jury returned, it was clear they did not sympathize with his belief that the murders were justified. When the verdict was read, Deese heard guilty of murder in the first degree. He shrugged and joked that the jury just didn't understand him. Rudolph Deese was sentenced to death. On the day of his execution, February 19, 1926, he kept saying over and over again, he would see Vivian again soon. He continued to rationalize killing her, saying his love for her was reason enough to ensure she was never with another man. Before his death sentence was carried out, Deese was asked if he had any last words. He said he'd advise every man to lay off cocaine, liquor, and women. Then he spoke of Vivian again, saying, I'll be seeing her soon. That's all I care about. At 7.45 a.m., 21-year-old Rudolph Deese paid the ultimate price for killing the woman he loved. In an interview, a few months before his execution, Rudolph Deese was asked if he was afraid to die. He said no one should worry about his soul. That's God's concern now. Southern Mysteries is created and hosted by me, Shannon Ballard. You can view photos for this episode along with sources on our website at southernmysteries.com. If you like this independent podcast and want to hear more, you can support what I'm creating when you join me on Patreon, where you get to hear bonus Southern Mystery Shorts every month. It's my thanks to you 
for supporting the show. You can learn more and sign up today at patreon.com slash southern mysteries. Thanks for listening. I feel